When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How personalized can a financial plan be when it's created by one of those robo-advisors? Plugging in standard algorithm to calculate insurance need and future wealth of random human client. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting to know you always comes first. Together, we'll create a financial plan based on your specific goals. Find a local Farm Bureau advisor at fbfs.com protect. It's your future. Let's protect it. You're listening to the Bears Brothers podcast and postgame show, the place where Bears fans across the globe hang out online after every Bears game. Now get ready, because it's time to bear down. Welcome back, Bears fans, to another episode of the Bears Brothers Podcast, and welcome to our Bears-Patriots postgame show. The final whistle just blew, and our Bears lost a very sloppy game to New England, 38-31, to a game that can be summarized in two words, missed opportunities. I'm your host, Will DeWitt, and to help me break down this game, I have two of my Bears brothers right here with me as I'm joined by Brandon Hazlett and Will Ingles. And guys, I'm not going to waste any more time. I just want to jump right into our opening drive and the first quarter of our show. And let's begin with this week's monster moment. So this week, I'm going to go with Bilal Nichols' uh, forced fumble and fumble recovery in the first half because it immediately came after the Bears put up a touchdown right after another fumble, and then the offense capitalized on it with a second touchdown today, which at the time gave the Bears a 17-7 lead early in the second quarter. Obviously, they didn't hold on to that lead, but at the time, to me, that's still the moment in which the Bears probably had the best you know, complimentary football, play on special teams, a couple plays on offense, and of course, Bilal Nichols right there with that big-time individual effort. But Brandon, again, 38-31, Bears lost to New England. What's going to be the stat of the game? The stat of the game is going to be two because that's the amount of interceptions that was thrown by Trubisky and also the total amount of special teams blunders uh, that I think ultimately decided this game. Kind of took the wind out of the sails, in my opinion. So uh, two is going to be the stat of the game because there were, were a lot of things that reflected that number throughout this game, Trubisky's interceptions and the special team blunders. Yeah, two special teams touchdowns given up, two second-half turnovers for Trubisky is definitely a recipe that makes it very difficult to beat New England with Tom Brady, as we just saw. But, uh, Will, over to you. I want to know, what's the lowdown? Why did the Bears lose this game? Uh, I'm probably going to put it down. Uh, there's a lot of blame to go around on this one, but uh, coaching overall I was pretty disappointed with the game plan going into this one. Uh, I thought the Bears, uh, if anything, you mentioned very sloppy game. The fact that they were within a yard of tying this game and going to overtime shows exactly how talented this team is. There, there are definitely opportunities and ways to beat the New England Patriots, but I really don't think that they were put in the best position game plan-wise to take advantage. So at the end of the day, 
I got to put this one on. Uh, if I have to give it to the lowdown, it's the coaches. All right. So the coaches forward to lowdown. And obviously, Nicholas Moriano, he is not here today, but I want to go ahead and give a Nick's knock, if you will. And I actually have four. Bears poor tackling on defense, lack of a pass rush, Trubisky's accuracy issues, and of course, those special teams blunders. Uh, Brandon, if you had to choose one, which one do you think stands out the most? Is it the special teams issues? It's the special teams issues because I don't think Trubisky had much help. We'll talk about this later. Uh, with those two interceptions, the open field tackling definitely ranks number two. Um, but it, I think it definitely, I think that's the difference in the game because when uh, Cordell Patterson fumbles early in the game, I thought that the Bears were going to take advantage in this third phase and then. He later takes one back, and then the block kick, like you mentioned earlier, just uh, tough to really come back when the third phase uh, fails like that. That's something that you expect to be a staple throughout the entirety of the game. When you have two mistakes like that, makes it really hard to win a game. Yeah, I mean, football is a three-phase game, and obviously the third one was uh, a big reason why the Bears were unable to come away with the win. You, you know, you take off those 14 points or even half, it's a whole t- entirely different game. But, Will, I want to go over to you real quick. Out of those, uh, the defense is poor tackling, the lack of a pass rush for the second straight week, uh, Trubisky's accuracies, or those special teams uh, issues. Which one kind of sticks in your crawl just a little bit more? It's got to be the pass rush for this week. Uh, and this also kind of goes with uh, coaching and personnel. I mean, it, it didn't take any football expert to realize that Khalil Mack just wasn't going to be able to get it going this, today. He obviously is still struggling through that ankle injury. I give all the respect in the world to Mack. He gutted it out. He gave his everything but it was just apparent that his everything was not enough to get the job done. It was not going to be, you know, enough to put a pass rush on Tom Brady. So at that point, you either got to work on some stunts, get some other guys in there who can run some, you know, Nats, Tans, uh, twists, uh, and try to get that pass rush on Brady. So uh, to me, it's that pass rush was really disappointing. There was times where Brady could have made a sandwich and ate it and then threw a touchdown uh, at times in this game. At Cenex, we're locally owned and operated, so your community is our community. That's why your Cenex goes far beyond the store. We fuel community connections by supporting local festivals, restoring town monuments, and renovating baseball fields. Now in its fourth year, we'll have contributed more than $400,000 to Cenex communities through our Hometown Pride Initiative. Because community connections make the places we live so special. Cenex, powered locally. So very disappointed with that overall, and not just because of Khalil Mack, but because there wasn't an effort to try to create one once we realized that Khalil Mack wasn't going to do it all by himself like he has been for the majority of the year. Yeah, I think that was pretty spot on when he said he had time to make and eat a sandwich before he had to go out there and hit a throw. So yeah, it's way too much time today for Tom Brady. But guys, going right into the next segment, we need to hand out an MVB, which in a game like today, you put up 31 points, we give up 38, uh, some inconsistencies all the way around. But I'm curious, who is going to be your MVB? And Brandon, I want you kick that off. Despite the defense giving up 38, I think it has to almost hands down go to Blau Nichols. I, he played exceptionally well, and we've seen him really grow uh, these first seven weeks. He put pressure on Brady throughout the game, not necessarily consistently, but he was there uh for a pass rush, what was there for the game. He forced the fumble. He stuffed a, stuffed a run at the line during a goal line situation, which the Patriots ended up scoring on the next play. But the fact he was able to do that, and then, you know, last week, too, he grew uh, was able to grow off of last week's performance. It wasn't quite as um, announced, I guess. Uh, so we'll call this one, I guess, Blau Nichols coming out game. But I thought he was the best defensive lineman in the entirety of the game for both set, for both teams today. So I have to give it to Blau Nichols. He, he really impressed me today. All right. What about you, Will? Who's going to be your MVP? 
I'm going to hop over to the other side of the ball and I'm going to give this one to Trey Burton. We, we really kind of thought this uh, entire offseason that Trey Burton and Mitchell Trubisky were just going to kind of be a really tight connection. He was going to be that security blanket to this point. The targets, yards, uh, receptions didn't reflect that. Today it did, and uh, it was absolutely necessary because there wasn't a whole lot going for the Bears' passing attack outside of Mitchell Trubisky to Trey Burton, and it was a major deciding factor in this game as far as the Bears being able to stay in it on the offensive end. So MVP for me, got to go to Trey Burton. I'm giving it to Trey as well. Uh, nine catches on his 11 targets, 126 yards, including that touchdown. And fun fact, this was Trey Burton's first career 100-plus yard game, so Glad he was able to get one under his belt here. But like you said, he was the most consistent and reliable weapon we had in the passing game throughout the entirety of this contest. And wide receivers, for the most part, uh, had a hard time getting some touches today. So for him to be as reliable as he was, especially in some third down throws over the middle, uh, Trey Burton's going to be my MVB as well. So up next, we're going to go ahead and jump right into our second quarter and break down what the Bears offense did today. But first, I need to call a quick timeout and tell you a little bit about our show sponsor, SeatGeek. Football is back and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long. Whether you're searching for a last minute deal, planning a night out, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There is nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. As you know, all the Bears brothers have the Seeky gaps on our phones, our devices, by far the easiest way that we've been able to purchase tickets. I'm personally a big fan of how they make searching for the best values. You can just click a couple buttons and sort by value and instantly you're able to see the tickets uh, that you're looking for or A, the most worth it. And if you kind of put that within your own budget, it kind of helps you find the best seats that you can personally purchase. And of course... SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever, and it doesn't just end with sports. SeatGeek has plenty of tickets to concerts, comedy, and theater, too. I know Nicholas Moriano, who's not here on the show today, he's up in Minnesota because he went to an Ed Sheeran concert, which he got the tickets on SeatGeek as well. And before the show, I was looking at the rest of the Bears home game, so plenty of amazing deals on all those as well. So no matter which one you're looking at, I'll definitely check out SeatGeek before all these amazing deals are no longer available. And the best part of all, the deal gets a little bit sweeter because our listeners get $20 $20 off that first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code BEARS today. That's promo code BEARS, B-E-A-R-S, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Alrighty, you're listening to the Bears Brothers Podcast. I'm your host, Will DeWitt. I'm joined by my Bears brothers, Brandon Hazlett, Will Ingles. The three of us are breaking down the Bears' 38-31 to loss to the New England Patriots. The Bears now fall to 3-3 three and three on the season, losing two straight after the bye week, and now it's time to dive into our discussion on the Bears offense that put up 17 first half points today, which did surprise me considering the fact that the Patriots gave up the fifth least first point, first half points per game so far this season on average, only allowing 8.7 first half points per game. That's a lot of first half points in games all in a row in a couple sentences there, but you get the picture. The Bears putting up 17 in the first half was way unorthodox for what the Patriots have been accustomed to so far this season. But, Will, I want to go over to you. What was perhaps your biggest takeaway on offense overall? Uh, it's tough because this was such a wonky game in a lot of ways, especially on the offensive end. Uh, I'd say Mitch takes a step back in some ways in, in his progression for me, and I think that's a controversial opinion, and I'm fully willing to defend it. But I think uh, the ball coming out of his hand did not look very crisp today at all. I understand that there was some wind, but – I don't think I saw one tight spiral today, uh, which which is concerning to some extent, especially when you have the wind. You want to throw tight spirals that allows the receiver to track it better, and that allows the ball to cut through the wind. 
I think his uh, his ability to break down a play, uh, go through his reads, I think that was not very good today either. Uh, at times, uh, his rushing ability saved the Bears in a lot of circumstances, but he also leaned on that too much at times, trying to get out of the pocket when he didn't need to, or at times he didn't feel the rush and uh, allowed the pocket to collapse in on him and there was nothing left he could do. So I think in a lot of ways he took a step back. Part of that's because my game breaker matchup of the week was Bill Belichick versus Mitchell Trubisky. Perhaps he got confused at some times. Maybe there were some looks that he wasn't used to. But either way, I think uh, I think this is a bit of a step back compared to the last two weeks we've seen Trubisky. What about you, Brandon? What was perhaps the biggest surprise on offense today? Because coming into this week, the Patriots' defense has been overall middle of the road today. And the Bears, yes, they scored 31, 14 of which came on some very short fields um, after turnovers. And the Bears had a hard time establishing drives, especially early in this game. Um, it got a little bit better towards the end, especially with some nice big plays. But what was perhaps your biggest surprise about the offense? I'm going to kind of counter Will a little bit. I don't think Trubisky, he didn't. Des- he definitely did not have his best game today. I will admit that. Uh, but he didn't get any help either today. Uh, I mean, you look at his receivers, Anthony Miller, uh, two receptions targeted seven times. Taylor Gabriel had three receptions targeted four times. So he was good. Kevin White, two for two. Uh, but Allen Robinson, one for five. And Josh Bellamy, 0 oh for four. And it felt like a lot of times throughout, the, especially in the beginning of the game, I was going, incomplete pass off so-and-so's hands. I mean, it's hard to instill confidence uh, early in the game and get that that extra yard, I guess, uh, late in the game uh, when all these drop passes are happening so early in the game. Uh, if he'd have gotten help, uh, a couple of those balls getting caught, if Josh Bellamy would have boxed out his defender a little bit better uh, prior to that interception with Trubisky's rolling to the sideline there, uh, I think that changes things a little bit. But I don't think Trubisky got much help today. I mean, he didn't have his best game. I will, you know, The ball did not come out of his hands very well, like Will said. Uh, but I don't think it's a step back for Trubisky. It's hard to be able to uh, go through a game and find someone reliable. Uh, I mean, he ended up finding Trey Burton and Tariq Cohen, uh, nine receptions and eight receptions, respectively. But he didn't get any help from the receivers. It was all tight ends and running backs. And once uh, the Patriots are able to key in on that, I mean, it's really hard to find a guy to throw to to move the offense. I think it's a bit of both. I think you guys are both on the right track because, like I said in the opening segment, it was very sloppy overall for this offense. And it goes both ways. Brandon, you hit it. There are a lot of drop balls, a lot of, uh, you know, miscommunications on offense as well. Um, But, as Will was mentioning, too, sometimes the ball came out a little bit flat, not enough touch on these, some of these passes. Uh, you talked about how, what, Anthony Miller is uh, two catches on the seven targets. I think I can count at least two or three balls that went Miller's way that was overthrown on this game. So for me, I think everybody played below their current standard, below their ability today, and that's a big reason why the Bears offense left so much, you know, not up on the board, but, you know, on the table today in this game. I think my biggest surprise was how well, the Patriots were able to kind of contain both Taylor Gabriel and Tariq Cohen. Uh, combined, they were under 100 yards, and these are players who had, over the last two games, over 420 yards for this offense. And I knew coming into this game that the Patriots were going to try to take them out of the equation, or at least one. But the fact that combined, they still didn't get 100 yards today, well, Cohen, I think they might have broke 100 if you count Cohen's 14 rushing yards. But just purely out of the passing game, I'm surprised how much they took him out. Um, but real quick before we get into uh, player specifics here, Will, anything else, any big plays that you thought kind of swung the momentum for this Bears offense or just any other general offensive thoughts? Um, outside of a few drops, uh, that overthrow to uh, Anthony Miller in the end zone, I thought that was I thought that was critical. There were a few, uh, we, we, we talk about Trubisky, we didn't even talk about the few dropped interceptions that would have yeah. been uh, absolutely backbreaking. I mean, if those two interceptions are caught, 
I mean, we're, we're not talking about uh, Trubisky having like a solid game. We're talking about him having one of his worst career games. So I, I think the, the biggest like momentum swings for me were, were plays that didn't happen, I guess. Uh, a few almost that could have uh, made this game from a close loss to an unmitigated disaster. Yeah, exactly. It was, uh, it was very interesting. I think the offense line, we'll talk about them in a minute, was a decent disappointment today. A lot of pressure, a lot in Trubisky's face, not really doing much in terms of generating anything on the ground in terms of inside runs. There's a few halfway through this game that was working, but overall is very ineffective for the most part. Let's go ahead and just dive right into position specifics, and let's start with Trubisky. We've already kind of talked on him a little bit today. Like we mentioned, the majority of his impact, at least early on, was with his legs, which, by the way, that uh, eight-yard scramble was it was incredible. It really was. It was a lot of fun to watch. I think the next-gen stats had him at 71.9 yards on that scramble. Wow. So, yeah, almost 72 <laughs> yards just to get eight. But it worked, and I think at one point he was back at 30. Um, but... Brandon, over to you. Um, in terms of what you saw at Trubisky today, why should Bears fans still be confident in 10 moving forward? I think they should be. Um, this is just kind of a blip after a couple of really strong games. Um, but why should Bears fans still be confident in their second-year quarterback? Because he's still being aggressive. Uh, that's something uh, that I think Will touched on earlier was some of the play-calling stuff. I like the aggressive mentality here. Uh, despite him throwing the two interceptions, despite him going 4-14 or 14 to start the game at one point, I mean, he wasn't backing down from the challenge. Uh, and we've seen that. That's why they only lost by seven, because they were aggressive throughout the entirety of the game. Uh, they had to make some adjustments here and there, sure, because the receivers weren't necessarily making the, the plays, not necessarily hanging on to the ball. But the aggressiveness by Mitch... Uh, being able to step up in the pocket at times, uh, taking charge when he knows that he has to, especially early when he doesn't have the confidence in those receivers to scramble. He's confident in his athletic ability to get some yards. Uh, so even if the play's not there, his aggressive mentality and trying to still get yards with his feet, and even throwing the ball downfield when he does have confidence in his guys later in the game uh, is definitely a reason to still be optimistic. Now, Will, I know you were on the opposite spectrum here, which I think we can all agree that this was by far not Trubisky's best game, uh, not just this season, but his career. But he did some good things, and I want to know, what are some of those things that uh, you're looking at that not still give you confidence because the same thing I gave Brandon, but still have you uh, seeing that Trubisky is still developing, even though maybe he did take some step backs in some regards. What's some things that he did right today? I really wish I had something other to say than what Brandon said, but that is exactly the point I wanted to make because in big games in the past, we've seen Trubisky get gun-shy. I mean, you you even look at his face and that last two-minute drive in Green Bay, man, he looked like he was about to poop his pants at times, to be quite honest. Uh, I think of his first uh, two-minute drill, try to come back against the Minnesota Vikings, the first start of his career. Man, he looked terrified. Today, he did not back down from the challenge. And I mean, even when the odds were sacked against him, even when the moment got pretty darn big, man, he, he looked like he was up for the challenge. So if anything, these last couple weeks, have definitely helped him grow in at least the confidence department. And that's huge as a quarterback. You know, there are times where things won't go your way. There are times where you know that you maybe should have a few more picks and there you've already thrown two picks, you know, you haven't had your best game, but the fact of the matter is it's a team game. And the fact that they've put you in a position to win at one point or another, the fact that he plays with that confidence that he still believes he can deserve to win any, any given game at any given point. I think that's huge in his development and gives me a lot of confidence moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you look at Trubisky and you see what he was able to do, the inconsistency, but the most part, when the game was on the line towards the end, 
Uh, he hit a, de- uh, a few really big third down throws. Um, so for him to kind of settle down, put the pass mistakes behind him, for me, is a good sign moving forward. Now, I'm looking at all these running attempts from him today and all the yards. I mean, at one hand, it's very exciting to watch. Uh, either it be that eight-yard scramble as a touchdown, um, another one that got him down to the one-yard line, which is like a 39-yard run as well. I mean, those are, as a fan, very exciting to see from your quarterback, those kind of plays. Then the other hand, I don't like him taking all these extra hits as well. It's something that throughout the course of the season, these extra hits add up. So for me, you know, I'm kind of I'm not on defense. I I agree that he should run when he needs to do it, but maybe he relied a little bit too much on it today. Maybe he wasn't being helped from his receivers, so he had to do it. Uh, after, of course, we need to go back and watch the tape to actually figure those kind of things out. But what about you guys, uh, Brandon? You specifically, are you okay with him taking all those uh, extra shots, or you want him because he could have got down a couple of times? But I like the aggressiveness on one hand. The other hand, I want to limit those those hits. Yeah, he needs to help himself and slide a little bit earlier in some of these situations. Uh, but again, with the aggressiveness, something that you like to see. Uh, and I guess as long as he's not hurting his his throwing arm or his hand, then it's okay. But I don't think it's something that is specifically called for in any sort of playbook or any sort of game planning. Uh, don't necessarily have a quarterback draw and have him just mow over guys because that's a little concerning. It's cool, uh, but a little concerning uh, for the longevity of the quarterbacks. So yeah, it's not something that in practice I don't think uh, Helfrich or – uh, Matt Nagy are saying, hey, just truck these guys over. I mean, they need to be able to uh, tell them to slide a little bit earlier if you're going to be able to do that and protect yourself some more. All right, let's kind of go over through uh, his targets that he had to work with today. Well, let's start at wide receiver. Kevin White, he had two catchers. Anthony Miller, two as well. Uh, three for Gabriel and then one for Allen Robinson. So if my quick math is correct, that's seven catches out of wide receivers today. Mr. Ingles, how did New England shut down the Bears' wideouts? In a lot of ways, this is exactly how, when you go through Belichick's history, that they they were able to beat the greatest show on turf, St. Louis Rams, in 2001. They disrupt the timing and they disrupt the receivers at the line of scrimmage. They had a lot of trouble getting off that initial uh, that initial point of attack. So a lot of their routes, all their timing was disrupted in a lot of ways. They're getting to their route progressions a lot later than Trubisky's anticipating and that he's used to. We've heard a lot from the in the past that Trubisky really uh, likes the plays that he has practiced. He knows where his receivers are going to be and when they are going to be there. And when you get a hard jam on receivers like the Patriots did all day long, I think that really threw off his rhythm to a lot of points. What about you, Brandon? After looking at you know you can throw in Taylor, you know, uh, yeah, Taylor Gabriel, uh, which is a receiver. I'm trying to say Trey Burton, too many T's, Tariq Cohen, um, <laughs> all these other players as well. Who's who stood out to you today? It stood out to me. I think it was uh, Trey Burton because it was, I mean, Nick's been calling for him to step up, and he finally did it. Nine receptions for 126 yards in that touchdown. Uh, but I think a lot of what threw Trubisky off in this one, we see it going back to week one against uh, Green Bay was when they switched the zone, and New England plays a lot of zone. Uh, and that's, I don't know if he just can't can't quite grasp where his guys are going to be and where the defenders are going to be at certain times with man. Uh, you know where the receiver is going to be and you know where the defender is going to be because he's trailing your receiver the whole time. I think he's got a hard time uh, this, like deciding where necessarily he needs to put the ball because he wasn't hitting his receivers in stride until late in the game, uh, which is concerning. So I think that uh, the zone really threw Trubisky for a loop as well and really limited these wide receivers. But shout out to Kevin White, two for two today and the Hail Mary. I think that instills a little bit more confidence. I don't know how much more we'll see him. Uh, but with Alan Robinson kind of going through his injury deal right now, I think we we might see a little bit more Kevin White. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, hopefully we have Alan Robinson out there still. But no, like you <laughs> said, he was able to make 
uh, the most of his opportunities today. He came down with one really nice contested catch, and of course, the one at the end of the game as well, which was a yard away from perhaps sending this game to overtime. But, uh, Will, over to you. Um, is there anything else that sticks out in terms of uh, not just the targets, but just the passing game in general today? Uh, I would actually like to speak a little bit. Uh, I didn't get to weigh in on uh, Trubisky running a little bit more. Uh, so I, perhaps this is the player in me, but I really love the fact that Trubisky is is willing to take those hits at times in a game. He's a young guy. His body's built much larger than a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL at this point. He's not a tall, stocky guy or sorry, not stocky. He's not like a real thin guy like a Mike Lennon back there where if he gets hit, you think he might fall into a, a million pieces not to bring back memories of that guy, but just kind of the body archetype. Trubisky's pretty well built. He can take a few of those hits, and I can guarantee you the way that he is willing to gut it out and run down the field to win for his team, that that might not be great for longevity, and I guarantee you he will probably try to develop and uh, go away from that as his career progresses. But that endears him to the locker room, I guarantee you 100%. All right, let's kind of transition here over to what the Bears were able to do on the ground, but minus Trubisky. You have Jordan Howard with 12 carries for 39 yards. Tariq Cohen had six for only 14. So yet another day, another time in which the Bears are really having a hard time establishing a traditional ground attack. Brandon, why so? Because they don't stick with it. Uh, they had a couple of runs in the middle of the game where Jordan Howard was busting off some some nice runs. And then in situations where... I would think that Jordan Howard's going to get the ball, like when Trubisky throws it to Bradley Saul in the back of the end zone. Uh, it's almost picked off. That I mean, the next play they run to Howard right away. Why didn't they just do that on the first play? I mean, I trust Howard enough in that situation uh, to just have him punch it in. Uh, so I think in situations where it's third and short or you're on the goal line, I mean, Nagy can't be cute in these situations. You just got to be able to give it to the bell cow who is proven that he can run north and south consistently and very well. And, I mean, even though he had the one fumble last week, I mean, that shouldn't shake any of Nagy's confidence. I I, was, I like that we've seen more rushes from Howard in this game. He had, what, 13 in this game? So I, I like that he was in there a little bit more. I've seen he was able to get a rhythm, but as soon as they get a rhythm going with the running game, they shy away from it. Uh, so if they see that it's working, stick with the hot hand, and then we'll see better results. But Nagy just, I think, overthinks some of these game situations. What about you, Will? Do you see anything else that's uh, limiting the Bears' impact on the ground? Uh, Part of it is how uh, backs are reading uh, the line uh, and how they're blocking. I think that has a lot more to do with how Tariq Cohen reads a block. There was one specifically where it was a toss sweep on third down. They had a perfect line set up. The line couldn't have done a better job uh, sealing off their guys. There was a clear route to uh, achieve a first down in that play. Tariq Cohen just wanted to go all the way to the sideline, and that's how uh, he got tackled for about a four-yard gain when it could have been at least the seven yards they needed for the first down, but maybe even, you know, 12, 15, he definitely could have gotten a ways downfield for that. So how the, how the running backs are reading their blocks, I think has a lot to do with this as well. And maybe, maybe that kind of lack of trust, maybe with Nagy seeing how they're reading the blocks and not executing the offense the way he wants it. Maybe that's why they're straying away from the run game. However, I lean more towards Brandon's assessment that it's probably uh, Nagy getting too cute at times uh, rather than what I just said. All right, looking at the offensive line real quick, of course, Brandon, you'd say, you know, games are won and lost in the trenches. And I know we haven't talked about the defense yet, but I'm pretty sure both sides of the ball, the Bears were, uh, you know, beaten in this battle up in the trenches on both lines. But, you know, I saw from the offensive line, they were allowing pressure a lot, especially early in this game and some couple of minced communications on some blitz pickups. Um, it led to Trubisky kind of, you know, speeding up his clock in his head, having to accelerate some throws. And it really didn't work out so well when the Patriots were able to bring some pressure 
looking at that offensive line, Brandon, uh, anyone uh, kind of stick out in terms of maybe not playing up to standard? I thought I thought Charles Leno Jr. struggled more today than I thought he would. Yeah, and I was going to say the same thing because that was the matchup to watch uh, that I had in our preview show on Thursday was Charles Leno against the left side of the guys or the left side of the defensive line for the Patriots, and I don't think he held up uh, to what I was expecting him to. And some of it is because Trubisky's rolling to the left like that Hail Mary where Van Noy is able to get his hand in there, so he's in a better position to just shake that Charles Leno block. Uh, but for the most part, that's where the two sacks came from was off of Charles Leno's guy, uh, off Claiborne, and then also Trey Flowers had one as well. So the left side, I, and I think, Part of that might have to do with the rotation of Eric Cush and James Daniels in there at time. I didn't see it uh, too much throughout the entirety of the game. I thought I'd seen Eric Cush in there a little bit more. Uh, but it's hard to be able to establish uh, a solid chemistry throughout the duration of the game when you're subbing in a guard uh, in and out. So Charles Leno, I mean, he's a very good one-on-one, but he's not going to be able to hold guys all the time if he can't communicate the same way with James Daniels as he does with Eric Cush. Uh, so I think that's somewhat part of the reason, uh, but for the most part, that was the one matchup that I was disappointed in was Charles Leno. Just I thought he was going to hold up to a, a higher standard in this one. All right, as we start to wrap up all of our thoughts here on the offense, uh, we'll go around the horn one last time. Will, what about you? Anything we haven't touched on that you want to make sure that our listeners know about or some of your takeaways? A uh, big thing for me, and, and this might play to the idea that the that the Bears lost the trench battle a little bit on offense. Uh, the, going back to this rotation, I brought this up in the matchup podcast that they're falling into a bit of a pattern when they have Eric Cushion, and that's that they're passing a lot more when they have Cushion in the game. I'm curious to go back and look through uh, the stats and snap counts again. But uh, in the Miami game, uh, Cush played 31 snaps. 22 of those were pass snaps. Nine of those were rush. James Daniels was just about 50-50 split down the middle. So I'm curious to go back and see uh, exactly how those uh, numbers stack up for this week. But I'm pretty sure they they were pretty equal or they were pretty reflective of last week again. And not to mention, when you're dropping back over 40 times in a game, that's going to be tough on an offensive line after so long. And that, again, goes back to abandoning the run game a little bit by Coach Nagy. You're not keeping those guys honest anymore. I don't think there are a ton of amazing uh, pass rushers on the New England Patriots. But after a while, when you know that they're going to be dropping back to pass, when you're able to just pin your ears back and go full bore, uh, it's it's tough for an offensive line for sure, especially, as Brandon mentions, when you're not used to communicating and passing guys off, especially uh, between Eric Cush, James Daniels, and the rest of the line. For me, I'm looking at Trubisky's two interceptions, and yeah, you know they're on the stat sheet, and you can't take them back. But both of those were throws that were both contested, you know, throws as well. But one, Josh Bellamy needs to make a stronger play on the ball. The other one was underthrown as well. So for me, uh, you just take away those two plays, um, and again, it could be an entirely different game. Mistakes were made, but mistakes need to be learned upon, and that's something that the Bears have been preaching ever since OTAs, training camp, and now hopefully these are two throws that Trubisky learns from as well. But one thing I want to note as a positive for my final thought here is despite all of this, the Bears did put up 453 total yards today. And last week, all the talk was about the New England Patriots defense in the red zone, how they're able to shut down Kansas City. I think Kansas City last week was one of five in the red zone in terms of converting those trips into touchdowns. Today for the Bears, four of four. Each and every time the Bears found their way into the red zone, they were able to come away with seven points, which to me, is a very promising sign for a team that struggled a little bit in the red zone of Miami to come out there against a defense that was coming up from a very strong red zone performance and they find a way to convert on each and every one of those attempts. Uh, but what about you, Brandon? What's your final offensive thought? Uh, final offensive thought, uh, that was a good way uh, for you to end your thought there. I like the 
you know. Your heart health is the foundation of your body's performance. So if you want to stay at your peak, your heart has to do the same. Cocovia delivers the level of cocoflavanols clinically proven to increase circulation, promoting healthy blood pressure and a strong heart. Boost your cardiovascular health and stay peak with Cocovia at cocovia.com. That's C-O-C-O-A-V-I-A.com. And now during Heart Health Month, save 20% with coupon code CVHEART20. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Four for four, and they can score without Allen Robinson there because there were a couple times where I don't even think he was in the game for those red zone situations. So that's definitely promising. Uh, and then we get Adam Shaheen back uh, here in the next couple weeks, hopefully. Uh, so that'll definitely add some more weapons down there in the red zone as well. Uh, but overall, don't don't take Trubisky's two interceptions too heavily, I guess, uh, because the wide receivers, like you said, need to help out. Josh Bellman needs to make a stronger play on the ball. Uh, that interception, Anthony Miller, it was underthrown, but the DB had to make a one-handed catch to get it there. So Anthony Miller could have just taken it right out of the pedestal, you know, because it's sitting right there in his hands, his one hand, I guess. Uh, just take it away from him. I mean, just got to be a little bit more aggressive in these situations. You have to help your quarterback out. I think that they could all tell that he was struggling. Uh, I mean, he wasn't really hitting his guys in stride. And he, Jordan Howard saved him on one of those plays. Uh, Anthony Miller needs to be able to uh, make a better adjustment on the ball. He had a ball in his hands that was thrown behind him instead of in front of him. Uh, Josh Bellamy lost one in the sun. Uh, just kind of things of that nature. Got to be able to help your guy out there. Uh, so don't don't uh, heavy hard on Trubisky in this one. Uh, and the offensive line definitely could have improved a little bit as well because they I thought they lost the battle there overall. All right, and I guess the last thing I want to say about Trubisky is that you're noticing, regardless of outcome, regardless regardless how the game's going, guys rally around him. They really do. They really look up to him. They really kind of feed off of his energy as well. You see it on the sidelines. You see how much. Uh, even those plays with the feet that he makes, how much they get that t- the team excited on the sidelines, on the field. And those are the sorts of plays that you really want out of your quarterback, the leader on the offense. So I just wanted to give you know Trubisky at least a shout-out in, re- in that regard as well because it wasn't a perfect game from him. Uh, there's definitely some areas that he still needs to improve upon. Um, but still, the guys believe in him, and you can really tell based off of their actions on the field and on the sidelines as well. But all right, we're going to call this a quick halftime. And before we enter the third quarter of our show and talk about the Bears' defense, I just want to let you know that if you're finding yourself frustrated, um, upset, which you better be after watching this loss as well. I mean, the Bears have lost two straight, and you want us to know about it, and you want your voice heard on the podcast, so make sure to call our mailbag number, uh, which is 872-240-4007. That way, later on in the week, we can answer your questions that were submitted via voicemail. So again, if you want your voice heard on our podcast, uh, make sure to call 872-240-4007 with your Bears questions, and we will answer that here in a couple of days. But guys, getting right back to business, let's go ahead and talk about that Bears defense again. Uh, Two weeks in a row, no pass rush a lot of poor tackling, a lot of plays that leave you scratching your head in terms of just the effort that the unit is playing with, a unit that was uh, passionate, fiery, uh, flying to the football the first you know few weeks of the season. Uh, you had the bye week, you come out, and it just doesn't seem like it's there. Uh, it could all come back to Cleo Mack, but if he's having that much of an impact for better and for worse, I think the Bears have some serious issues on this defense. But let's go over to Will first. What was perhaps your biggest takeaway from defense? The fact that with Khalil Mack, they gated that we went into this year thinking that this was a top 10 defense, that this was the unit that would lead the team. Uh, Trubisky, Nagy, this is going to be a, a year of transition, but now Khalil Mack, obviously the door is open. 
This didn't look like a top 10 defense with Khalil Mack largely negated in this game. And that was largely concerning to me. We saw a lot of pieces that we thought were going to be a lot bigger contributors. I thought Eddie Jackson and Adrian Amos looked extremely average. Uh, and uh, that might be almost a compliment to the way they played. Uh, we mentioned open field tackling was pretty abysmal today. Very disappointed in that. Uh, I thought Danny Trevathan was pretty uh, held in check for the most part today. Uh, there were a few occasions where they uh, linebackers overall just weren't filling their gaps, weren't scraping very well, or at the very least, they were reading too slow to get to their run uh, run assignments, or uh, they were going too slow, and then they were getting picked up by a uh, lineman that was getting off of a double team. That way they couldn't scrape over. I think specifically they, they were looking at Khalil Mack and saying like, oh, man, he's just too uh, too beat up by his ankle when he ended up getting pancaked by, uh, by the tight end Dwayne Allen. He did his job there. That's the linebacker's tackle to make. He forced the play back inside, and he made the running back slow down and cut up too. That's the play the linebacker's supposed to make, middle linebacker. So whether that was Trevathan or Roquan Smith, and I saw Nick Kwiatkowski got out there. I have something nice to say about him later. So uh, so loyal listeners of the show, you know this is going to be a rare moment coming up later. But overall, that, that was just kind of disappointed overall because this is a top-10 defense statistically last season that isn't different at all. If anything, it's improved by a lot of the pieces they brought Sands, Khalil Mack, and they didn't look the part at all today. No, they really didn't. What about you, B? What's uh, perhaps uh, some things in your mind after watching what the defense did or didn't do? Uh, like Will said, where's the passion? I mean, one guy goes down. I mean, you can't just hang your hat on that. I mean, he's still out there playing, so you got to go out there and bring that energy that he would bring if he was 100%. Uh, but the big, big thing for me is the open field tackling. That is, I I think that's a compliment that Will gave Eddie Jackson, Adrian Amos. I thought they were playing below average today. Eddie Jackson again, uh, and Prince and Mukamara on that Josh Gordon play that went, I don't even know how long it was. I think it was close to 70 or 80 yards. Uh, both missed the tackle right away, and he ends up getting tackled at like the two-yard line. Uh, that is the tackle that has to be made right away by either Amukamara or Eddie Jackson. Just a poor effort uh, as far as getting there. That's the one that really stands out to me. But as far as the lack of pass rush goes, I mean, I think there's some of it that can be combated by saying that uh, Belichick and Brady and even Adam Gase uh, looked at that defense and said they got a lot of pass rushers, so we're just going to do a lot of these quick uh, quick out routes, quick screens, uh, guys in the flat just to get a pass out quickly and negate that pass rush. Uh, and that's just kind of – I don't know, football offense one-on-one for me, uh, but that's something that I looked at as well. Uh, early on, Tom Brady was able to hit those guys. Uh, even later in the game, James White, just a consistent guy out of the backfield, just these little slip routes. It looks like he's going to block, slips out into the flat. There's one play that stands out to me where uh, I think it was early in the fourth. Uh, he runs a little slip route, and Bryce Callahan and Roquan Smith just kind of look at him, and he sits right there in front of him, and neither of them react to it. Uh, that's got to be one that one of those guys has to go pick it up. I know there's guys behind both of them, uh, but one of them has to be able to step up. You have to be able to decide because more times than not, I mean, Tom Brady was hitting those check down routes. He scanned. He was much better than Brock Osweiler. Brock Osweiler last week made uh, one read and that was it. Brady scanned the field a couple times throughout the entirety of the game, uh, like scanned it once and then went back and scanned it twice. Still didn't have anything. He's able to hit guys in the, in the, uh, the flat. So the pass rush doesn't necessarily concern me a whole lot. Uh, because they're able to negate it with some of these quicker passes. But the times where he's able to scan the field twice, that's when it becomes a problem. Like Will said earlier, uh, had enough time to make and eat a sandwich before actually having to make his throw. Um, looking at this defense, I think what really upset me the most was just 
how consistent they were beaten by guys like Chris Hogan, James White, Julian Edelman underneath. I mean, time in, time out, like Brandon, you mentioned, just those short, quick passes were just gutting this team from the very first drive of this game, and it seemed like the Bears had no answer for it. It's exactly what Miami did a week ago. It's exactly what Bill Belichick came in and do this week, and yet again, we're same song, you know, same song, same dance. Uh, Will, I want to go over to you. Why can't the Bears stop it? Is it just, you know, stubbornness on the fact of Vic Fangio not adjusting? Is it more complicated than that? What's going on there? I think a lot of it has to do with Vic Fangio, and that's that's exactly what I wanted to, wanted to say here. Uh, when you're talking about trying to get a pass rush, you have to deny those short, easy throws. Ironically, uh, this is exactly what Green Bay did in the second half, mostly the fourth quarter of the game and, and the opener to come back and beat the Bears because that negated their pass rush. Uh, and then I think Miami saw that. I think Adam Case saw that. And obviously the time uh, that Adam Case had with Vic Fangio in Chicago, I think, led to a lot of that. And, and Bill Belichick's one of the best in the league. If someone's done something that works against you, he's going to do it again. So when you saw those first drives, they were running zone beaters, and that's all they had to do. They found the soft spot in the zone that Vic Fangio's run consistently, and they just threw it right there until he adjusted. And I thought, A, he took too long to adjust, first of all. B, when he did adjust, he had some wonky coverage matchups. I mean, why did it take so long for him to put Roquan Smith on James White? Right. I, I, that boggles my mind. I mean, Leonard Floyd, I think, is a good zone drop guy. I think he – I do not want him in man. Never want him in man. I mean, that's, that's not why you drafted him. You drafted him to rush the passer and because he's a good athlete and can drop in zone coverage and maybe surprise a quarterback on his zone blitz. But – He's not supposed to cover running backs one-on-one. That's that's not why you drafted him in the first round. At least I hope that's not why Ryan Pace drafted him, because if that's the case, that was a swing and miss, buddy. Uh, and then and then putting Khalil Mack on him. Like, this dude has a busted ankle. He can't get up field five yards, let alone run 30 to cover running back. So I think, yes, some stubbornness on Vic Fangio. Put your best athletes to cover their best athletes. That's not a hard concept to understand, in my opinion. Uh, and then, like I mentioned earlier, uh, if you're struggling to get a pass rush, which eventually they did, like I mentioned, deny those first throws, those quick throws that Brady was looking for so that he has to sit in the pocket for a little bit more. But then they weren't doing anything to try to create a pass rush. I mean, if you're not getting one from just your standard four-man rush, one-on-one trying to beat someone, then you get creative on the line. You throw some stunts in there. You, you try to help your guys get free. And, and he didn't do that. So I, I was largely confused to the game plan employed by Vic Fangio on this one. Obviously, to a large extent, you know, open field tackling, a lot of it was execution by the players as well. Like I mentioned earlier with the linebackers scraping over and being slow on some of their reads and not physical at times, that's execution. But a large part, game plan did not put them in a place to succeed at a lot of places in this game. And, and that's largely, like you say, stubbornness on Vic Fangio's part, although there are some complexities in there as well. You're not frustrated at all, are you? Wee bit, wee bit, just a wee bit. <laughs> it doesn't show whatsoever. No, it's there's a lot to be frustrated about. And speaking of frustrations, let's just jump right into our discussion on the defensive line because, again, there's really no impact outside of Bilal Nichols, which was not discredit what Nichols did today. I mean, he really had himself, uh, you can call it a breakout game, uh, very first drive, he flashed uh there's a screen right there inside of the 10 for New England. It was right in Brady's lap in a hurry, able to force that throw to come out a little bit quicker. Uh, instead, the Patriots had to settle on that one. Uh, actually, I'm trying to think if that one scored or not. doesn't matter. Game's over. Moving on to the next one from Nichols as well. Uh, he had a great run stop. There was no gain on one. He was able to scrape outside, shoot the gap, limit that, 
And then, of course, that big force fumble and fumble recovery, which uh, he had three big plays happen very first, like 15 minutes of this game. But outside of Nichols, we didn't have much. Uh, Goldman, Hicks, Bullard, Roy Robson-Harris, all very, very you know silent for the majority of this game. And then when the game was uh, still within reach at the end and the Patriots had the ball, uh, and we knew the Patriots were going to run it, Time and time and again, they're able to just run for these really big games, especially on first down, running for eight yards is mind-boggling for a defensive line that was uh, so stout early on this season. And you can't give me the fact that, you know, maybe they're tired and worn out at that point because the Patriots only ran 64 yards compared to the Bears' 77. Time of possession was pretty split, but again, uh, that's what you're meant to do on defense, and it wasn't like a hot, muggy day in Miami. It was cool and chippy here in Chicago, so... I don't understand where the lack of effort was coming from the, off the defensive line. They just were overmanned, overpowered for the majority of this game. Brandon, Mr. Trenches, what went wrong? It seemed like everything. It felt like everything. But honestly, it felt like when when Patriots were able to run it between the tackles, that's when the Bears running defense was at their best. Uh, Akeem Hicks had, a, he had two tackles on the day, and the one that I can really think of, uh, it was like a third two, and he able was able to stop him short uh, on that one. We mentioned Blaud Nichols, and Eddie Goldman was kind of quiet, but he's in here with two tackles as well, so he was in there on the run defense as well. Uh, but the problem really came when they went outside the tackles. Uh, their offensive tackles uh, for New England did a very, very good job of sealing the edge. Uh, Cleo Mack, there was a couple plays where he just could not get outside of the tackle to, to create an edge. Uh, Leonard Floyd had the same issue throughout the entirety of the game. Uh, so they did a very good job of getting their guys to the edge and not allowing the Bears to set an edge. And that ultimately, I think, is where the issues came because once they got outside of the tackles, made their first cut, it felt like seven and eight yards every time. So it was really just a credit uh, to the Patriots' offensive line for getting out and wanting this one a little bit more, I think. What about you, Will? Anything you want to bring up about the defensive line, player-specific, just general takeaways? I think Akeem Hicks deserves a little bit of love. Uh, I, I think he played well at, a, at some stretches in this game. I think between him and Nichols, those were the only two that kind of brought their own fire to the table. We mentioned uh, this seemed at times like an uninspired effort. Uh, one thing I almost want to bring in on the inspiration and kind of uh, just energy level of that defense, uh, this maybe is just a question to you guys. To me, it almost feels like they're they're sitting back waiting for Khalil Mack to do something to spark that. Like it's almost become a known commodity to them in the first four games. Like they were waiting for Mac to come in and make a big play. And when you think about it, the first four games, he had a big play early on in the game that kind of set the tone for that team. Obviously in Green Bay, he gets a he gets a pressure on his first snap. He dominates the entire first half. You know, in Seattle, he gets a strip sack uh, again. Uh, Arizona, the same thing happens. And then he had a few splash plays in Tampa and he set the tone. And I feel like everyone out there was just kind of waiting for someone to step up and do it, but then no one did. There, there were not any, there were not any players today that took it upon themselves outside of Nichols and large part and at times Hicks that wanted to step up and make that big play. I, you're, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, excuse me for the squeaky voice. There's still a, uh, still a little horse from last night, uh, the upset there at Purdue, but regardless, um, I think you're right. I thought the Blau Nichols play, uh, the force fumble there, was going to be the one that set the tone uh, because I believe at that point the offense was – they just scored seven. Uh, so I was like, perfect. The offense is set. Um, Blau Nichols just forces this turnover. Everything's going to fall into line just like we've seen in the three wins. 
uh, where I don't feel like the Bears are going to be able to lose momentum. The defense is going to start making plays. The offense is going to be driving, and it's going to be wonderful. We're going to upset the Patriots in this one as well. It's going to be a great weekend of football all around for me anyway. Um, and then after that, uh, like you said, it just didn't happen. They were almost kind of waiting for Cleo Mack. And on a on a bum ankle, that's not something that they can really afford to wait for. It had to be Akeem Hicks or Leonard Floyd, who was really close to getting to Tom Brady a couple times, but he just couldn't quite finish the deal. Uh, so they really needed someone to step up. And outside of Blau Nichols, no one could do it. No, you're right. And going back to Will's point, maybe we're just missing that weekly, you know, Cleo Mack strip sack kind of play uh, that needs to spark it. No, like, honestly, no, it's interesting that I know they need to lean on him a little bit. I mean, that's what they brought him here for uh, to make those kind of plays. But when he's, you know, beaten up like he is right now at that ankle and giving it his all, someone else needs to return the favor, step up for him, spark him, try to get him motivated as well. I don't, not really motivated, but just energized perhaps because the energy has been lacking on defense for two weeks in a row without it. Uh, so hopefully someone would step up in that regard. Didn't happen too much today. You can maybe argue that Kyle Fuller could be brought into that conversation. Someone who did, he did have a nice pass breakup early in this game, uh, had the interception as well. Um, but yeah, for the most part, a lot of uh, missed opportunities, even for this Bears defense. But jumping right into the Bears linebackers today, and we can start outside. Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, we talked about Leonard Floyd being in man coverage. Makes no sense at all. Was just looked foolish on that. Uh, James White touchdown, that five-yard go-ahead late in the second quarter, uh, full and inside move, left White uh, just wide open. And then Khalil Mack uh, playing it. You know, it's interesting that they flipped the sides today. And Will, I want to get your opinion on that here in just a minute. Um, but lots of playing coverage. Uh, you can tell he's obviously not 100%. And then lastly, uh, Will, I'm going to go over to you for two questions here. One, uh, what was your take on flipping the Leonard Floyd uh, and Khalil Mack today for the most part, which is something we haven't seen yet in Chicago? And secondly, are you surprised as I am that we didn't get Aaron Lynch as much as I thought we were going to see him today to at least get you know, Mack either some rest or maybe even Leonard Floyd just getting some uh, freshness out there because he's been impactful, um, but I don't have the snap counts in front of me, but I know he wasn't out there a lot. Yeah, uh, to, for, for your first question, uh, it didn't surprise me, I guess. I, I understood the move. Uh, I, I think when you have players like Floyd and Mac, when they're playing you know, to their powers, yeah, I understand why the move might throw off the Patriots, You know, obviously taking advantage of some matchups, also trying to perhaps uh, you know, help with uh, Mac's ankle. Maybe, maybe he felt more comfortable rushing from the other side. He didn't feel like he needed to utilize his ankle quite as much rushing from a different side. There's a lot of things that go into a choice like that. And I obviously today it didn't really help. Uh, but I, under, either way, I understand why they did it. Uh, but obviously at the end of the day, you still played football. You're still rushing the passer. You're doing a lot of the same things it's just from a different side. Uh, when it comes to the personnel, I kind of mentioned this. I really did not understand the personnel decisions the only reason I think you don't spell Mac is if you really think that the Patriots are going to pay so much attention to him that you can't afford to take him out. I think back to uh, the Broncos uh, Packers Super Bowl. Uh, there's uh, for those of you who don't know about Terrell Davis, one of the better running backs in NFL history. Uh, he had uh, bouts with migraines when he played in the NFL. And so he has a migraine and he tells uh, coach Shanahan, I can't see. And he says, well, you have to go and we're faking it to you, but they don't believe they won't believe we're running the ball or might run the ball unless you're in the game. Uh, and then they play action. Uh, and then I believe John Elway ran a bootleg clean into the end zone for the touchdown. 
But I think that might parallel to the same way that the Bears approach was in this game, not allowing uh, Mac to go out just because they thought that the Patriots would pay a ton of attention to him. I don't agree with that approach. Uh, I think I made myself pretty clear on that to begin with. Even if you have an Isaiah Irving in there who's at least a fresher body that can give you a pure pass rush, I think you go for it at that point. You clearly saw that Mac was not going to give you what you needed. Uh, why don't you try something different? And at the very least, uh, there, it always surprises me sometimes just how big Aaron Lynch is. I, if you're struggling to set an edge or if you're just looking to press the pocket in on Brady, man, that's that's a guy who's going to get it done for you. And there's not a problem with his ankle. So well, I, I agree with you. I don't understand why Aaron Lynch or even Isaiah Irving wasn't employed more in this game. What about you, Brandon? Anything that you want to mention about the outside guys? And if not, just bounce right on in. All right, I'll, st- I'll start with the Aaron Lynch thing because that bothers me a little bit more than the the switch of Mac and Floyd. I think that's a good move. I'll go ahead and say that now. But uh, I was really surprised that we didn't see Lynch more because for the reasons like Will said, he doesn't have a bum ankle, so get him out there. Uh, it seemed like uh, Lynch only came in when Mac, like late in the game, needed to come out. Like he just couldn't bear to be on his ankle anymore or whatever the reason was. That I felt like that's the only time we've seen Aaron Lynch out there. And I think for him to have a – for anybody to have a bigger impact really in a game, you have to be in there in the game, uh, be able to get the flow for the game because you don't get that stand on the side. And you get the mental reps, uh, but it's a lot harder to get into into the game, uh, I think, if you're not in the game, if that made any sense. Sure. Uh, but bouncing it inside – uh, Danny Trevathan is still over pursuing guys. He led the team with 10 tackles, but there was one pass uh, over over the middle underneath. Uh, I don't remember necessarily who the receiver was, or maybe it was even James White. Because uh, up to, comes up to make a tackle and he misses it because he's over pursuing again. I, that's something he's got to learn to break down a little bit better. Uh, Roquan Smith, I thought for the most part, played a pretty good game. Uh, he had a tackle for a loss in there. He had five tackles on the day, one quarterback hit. It was nice to see him get in there on the Tom Brady one, his quarterback hit there. Uh, but I'm just disappointed, I guess, in both these guys in both these guys in coverage. Just the last couple weeks, uh, I think you, they could see the slip uh, running back route uh, develop when they see him get through the offensive line. Someone has to be able to pick that up. I know that there's guys behind, uh, but someone has to be able to communicate. You know, there's a running back in the flat over here, or there's a running back in the flat over here, or there's a, a wide receiver screen or some sort of screen going on. Uh, these guys have to be able to, and we know they have the athleticism to get there to the flat, just have to be able to do it and and make the play, try and take away that that quick route that, I mean, we've seen Osweiler make. Uh, it was Tom Brady's check down because there wasn't much of a pass rush in this one from the defensive line. Uh, so these guys have to be able to to make those plays when they know everyone's behind them, step up and be able to to get into those flat situations. I think that's really going to take care of that problem, but I'm not a defensive coordinator, so take my opinion with a grain of salt. <laughs> I would have to look into the tape. I'd have to look into the tape on this one, but to perhaps give some commentary as to why they are so late to react to those routes that are especially going to the flats uh, by the running backs is because especially in a zone concept at times, they're trying to stay inside to make sure that those underneath crossing routes that are probably more at the intermediate level at that point aren't so easily completable. Because what a lot of teams will try to do is, especially if they know that uh, the linebackers are going to key on running backs going out and are so easily ran out to the flat. Well, if you run all the way out, what opens up is a huge slant window. Uh, so I think a lot of times that's probably why they were staying in there. I'd have to break down the tape a little bit more to confirm that, but a lot of times it's kind of a two-way it's two-way go sometimes for those linebackers. So uh, I agree with you on the over-pursuing by Trevathan. I thought this was a pretty poor game for his standards. 
but overall, yeah, it, it's tough, especially in coverage, uh, especially in a zone coverage for linebackers, because you have to you have to try to uh, mold your zone as the as the play develops and the routes develop. You don't want to cover dead grass, but you also don't want to right. run yourself out of where the play is going to be. So. Some film study to do to confirm that, but I understand at times, especially rallying late to the flat, maybe they waited too long, but that it's kind of a catch-22 sometimes out there. It is extremely frustrating, though, after two weeks to just keep seeing the Bears get beat by the same route consistently. Yeah, if, any, if anything, you almost go back to cover two, like have your have a hard corner up there play right yeah. in the flat, you know, at least some change-ups. And this goes back to Vic Fangio being a little bit stubborn perhaps at times and not willing to change it up. I I was happy because he did change it up. Uh, it was the second drive of the game. They, they threw two zone beaters. Uh, like I mentioned, it was two slant routes, I want to say, to Edelman on the second drive. The first one he drops, the second one he catches, it's third and three. And that's where Kyle Fuller had that breakup on the yo-yo route by uh, Edelman. And that and they flipped it to man coverage for that. It was just like, great, you changed it up. You saw him throw – you saw Bill Belichick construct two uh, two offensive plays to beat exactly what you were running, and then you adjusted. But we, we didn't see that dichotomy play out more in the game, which I am really frustrated by and don't quite understand. Yeah, all good stuff there. And I think it was a perfect transition to the secondary talk because you guys already kind of got a jump start on it, which I'll take it. But again, Josh Gordon today, four catches, 100 yards given up. Then Chris Hogan, Julian Edelman as well, were able to come up with 11 catches for about 100 yards combined. Um I think we already kind of hit on why it was, you know, able to kind of work just playing a little bit off the ball, playing a little bit too much of a deep zone, allowing them to hit those open receivers underneath all game long. What about you, B? Anything else in the secondary that you want to hit on that we haven't already kind of preluded to? Uh, big shout out to Sherrick McManus. When Bryce Callahan goes out, McManus comes in, and then it's immediately a wide receiver screen to Edelman, and McManus is right there like it was Bryce Callahan. That was really cool to see. Uh, so very good job by Sherrick McManus on that play. I don't remember exactly when Bryce Callahan came back in, but then I wasn't worried when McManus stayed out there for the rest of his duration on defense. Yeah. What about you, Will? Uh, when it comes to uh, perhaps another reason why uh, we saw open receivers is the very reason I thought our wide receivers struggle. We don't exactly see a lot of uh, physical play by our corners and our secondary. Uh, and that allows a lot of those timing routes that allows those receivers to kind of see that soft zone. They're not working with getting off uh, a corner, a hard corner, or at least contact. They're just able to run their routes and read the defense as they're running their routes. Uh, so that's something I'd also like to see that Fangio perhaps throw in there a little bit more as a changeup as well. Cause Tom Brady's as much of a timing thrower as, uh, as the, Nagy and Trubisky in their offense so perhaps that might be something else that we see further on uh to go on the Sherrick McManus Pete a little bit also very impressed with him he hasn't taken a lot of snaps this year but when he's been in he's been very impressive which I'm astounded by because when he was in a few uh a few slight uh stints I believe in 2016 when Kyle Fuller was out Tracy Porter was out every single person who played defensive back for the Bears was out uh, he was in and he was atrocious. So to see how he's developed in a few years, very impressed. Yeah. Looking at the rest of the secondary, I thought, you know, Kyle Fuller, we already kind of mentioned, you know, he had some really aggressive plays on the ball today, perhaps the most aggressive player we had in the secondary in terms of uh, getting in there, uh, getting in the receivers grills, being up on them. Uh, but other than that, it was a lot of just trying to keep the guy in front of you wrap up after the fact. Um, I thought, Prince Mukamara, I forgot exactly the situation, but he had that really good stick on that screen. Uh, he sniffed it out, was able to kind of do his best Bryce Callahan impersonation there. Um, but, Will, you said that, and Brandon, you too, so I want to get both of you guys' thoughts here. 
that both of the safeties played average to below average. And I absolutely agree. They've been leaving uh, lots to be desired. But, Will, I want to go to you first. Uh, what specifically kind of leads to that average kind of grade? Uh, well, obviously, missed tackles for one. As a safety, you are, they say safety for a reason. You are the safety net. You are exactly the person who makes sure that, as I've mentioned on the show before, the offense lines up and takes another snap. If you aren't getting them down, you're not very good at your job as a safety. I mean, it doesn't matter where the play is at on the field. If the play's coming to you, you have to find a way to get the guy down. And Amos and Jackson were abysmal at that task today. Uh, pass coverage, uh, it was a soft zone, and I don't think they were very good at reading and uh, latching onto guys. Uh, so uh, that also leads to a below average grade as well. And I don't think they were aggressive with run reads either. When it was a clear run action, I think they were late to respond, and that leads to hidden yardage. Uh, so really all the things that a safety can do, I think they were below average or average. I don't think they really did anything above average at all today. Bringing out that ever so feared hidden yardage. <laughs> well, what about you, Brandon? Anything else? I think Will kind of hit, you know, the point home. Yeah, uh, Will did a very good job of breaking that down. Just the open field tackling for two straight weeks and the run defense. Two guys that we typically see who are aggressive in that area uh, have been absent since the bye week. Uh, so those are two things that I expect to improve moving forward because those are, I mean, staples uh, for both of them throughout their short careers, I guess. So, yeah. Well, also, don't understand why Adrian Amos all of a sudden wants to try to spear guys. I that's he's always been he's a, a hard hitter, I say but I mean, full on launch spear. I'm just like that's illegal in the NFL now. You do know that, right? Like you, the moment since you've been in the NFL, that's been illegal. Like you didn't start playing in the '90s, and this has just changed. Like when did it, you try to tackle like Brandon Merriweather out here? Was it Amos or Eddie that almost got the the helmet rule? Uh, I believe flag. it was Amos. Okay, so that's probably where it came from. Then. And then later in the game, he did the exact same thing, but it was on the guy's like, uh, it was on his like backplate or something like that. So it wasn't as big of a deal. I'm just like, but you can't do that. Like what? And that's not a good way to tackle either. Like use your arms and wrap up, not your cranium. Exactly. <laughs> and then even even Eddie Jackson on the opposite spectrum, maybe Amos is being a little bit too aggressive, trying to go for that big hit. And then Eddie Jackson is more like that lackadaisical, you know. Soft grab approach. The yeah, grab the jersey, spin around, and then falls to the turf. And we saw that last week a little bit in Miami where, again, that was a different game and different circumstances where the whole team was kind of gassed, but just kind of not make a strong effort to take down the guy. And then I saw that at least once or twice today too where uh, the receiver has the ball 12, 15 yards downfield, and Jackson kind of you know, half-heartedly tries to take down the guy and doesn't end up working, and they get some of that extra yards after yeah. the catch as well. So it's like two opposite ends of the spectrum there. You have Amos going in there too fast, too hard, trying to deliver the big hit, and then Jackson being a little bit too coy. Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at Tempur-Pedic.com. Okay, so if both would just go back to fundamentals, 
and do what they were supposed to do, yes. we would be in good shape maybe on the back end of this defense. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Easier said than done, though. Easier said than done. But, guys, uh, let's wrap up uh, our defensive discussion here because I think special teams is going to take a little bit longer than it usually does today. So any final thoughts on defense? Brandon, uh, the floor is yours. Uh, got to find a way to eliminate these screens, eliminate these short routes uh, that Will talked about so that way the pass rush can return. Uh, that might come with a healthy Cleo Mac, uh, but at, in the meantime, someone else has to be able to step up and generate that push. Uh, I'm kind of looking at Keem Hicks, who's typically been the the energy and the voice for the defense prior to Cleo Mac. Uh, and I think, Will, you said it best. We looked at this as a top 10 defense prior to Mac coming, and they definitely didn't look like it today. Uh, and also, for the second straight week, they have to improve the open field tackling. Yeah, I can't really think of anything further to add. It seems like, you know, I wasn't even on last week's postgame show because I was still in Miami, and it still feels like I already said all this. I mean, we were talking, you know, in the stands about it. <laughs> right. But it's just, it's just the same exact thing just on repeat. But uh, what about you, Will? Anything that you want to end the dis- the defensive discussion on? I, I think I've already gotten most of it out. Uh, it was very therapeutic. All right. Well, the best part about the whole thing, you know those little gummies that you have on, like, some of those headphones, those earbuds? Well, this one fell off about, I don't know, two minutes into the show. And the whole time I've been sitting here fiddling with it, <laughs> trying to squeeze it back on. I just got it about 30 seconds ago, so now I can kind of focus a little bit better. Um, not that I wasn't. Actually, I think it kept me more focused, uh, just kind of having something to fidget with. But um, all right, cool. Let's go ahead and talk about special teams, which wasn't cool. Uh, they were pretty much the – I mean, they were cold. They were awful, uh, especially the coverage units. Um, but let's just kind of go through – Three big plays on special teams. You have the Nick Wachowski force fumble, and then, of course, the two Bears uh, touchdowns that they allowed, one off a kick return and one on a block punt, which I can't remember the last time I seen the Bears give up a touchdown on a block punt. It's been a long time. I honestly don't have any recollection whatsoever when the last one was. But uh, where do you guys want to begin? It's a, smor- it's a smorgasbord this week. It is very much a smorgasbord. Um I thought that they were going to win the special teams battle with that forced fumble right away. And forced by Nick Kwiatkowski. What I was a play. <laughs> Good job, Nick. Proud of you, kind of. Um, but additionally, I, the, the block punt really bothers me. That's when it felt like the wind was out of the sails and the Bears just were not going to be able to complete a comeback in this one. Uh, something about a block punt that gets returned for a touchdown is just incredibly disheartening. Uh, and as much energy as we've seen Chris Tabor bring in um, training camp, because he was clamoring, you know, I don't get to see you guys all the time. I want just as much energy you give me on special teams as you do on offense or defense, whatever you play. Uh, I imagine he's going to have something to say in practice this week, if not a lot of things to say. It's real funny in terms of that uh, block punt for a touchdown, you know, Ben Broniker, I mean, he was on his back uh, real quick and, as we just started this section, I look over on Twitter, and there's actually a tweet about this. Uh, Broniker was asked about that play. Um, he said it was unacceptable. It's embarrassing, and he mentioned that was perhaps one of the worst feelings that you can have on a football field, which I can agree with, and I'm sure, Will, you would as well. But, you know, just a lot of just sloppiness in terms of that Patterson 95-yard kickoff, you know, for kick return for a touchdown. It was uh, goes back to missed tackling, poor angles coming in there to try to crash down on him. And then the block punt uh, just – you know, a lapse, perhaps, perhaps just being overpowered, not being, uh, not anticipating a little bit of that rush. But all these plays, regardless, I mean, we can break them down if we really want to. But the end result's the same. There's seven points for New England on both of these, and they proved to be uh, pretty vital. But Will, you had to choose which one was more the backbreaker, or maybe the, you know, the what do you call? It? What do you call your segment? Is it a game breaker? 
Game breaker. Yeah. So which one of these would be the game breaker between the two? Man, I'd have to go with the the blocked punt as well because that wasn't. I'd have to look back to see if it was a scheme issue. I don't think it was. I mean, they just literally got steamrolled. I mean, there's nothing that uh, Pat O'Donnell has a little bit of a slower windup, but I don't think there was any windup that would have uh, gotten that punt off, honestly. Uh, And the worst part to me is that you know that punt was getting blocked. If you're on that punt team, you know that thing got blocked. Like, especially for Browniker, he's on his butt. You know that thing's not getting off. It's not like Van Noy, uh, the person who recovered the ball, like, got it and scooped and scored really quick. <laughs> like, he like you know, ball. he's kind of like trying to, you know, smoke a cigarette a little bit, you know. <laughs> okay, I'll get the ball now. It's just like, well, I know you aren't downfield covering the punt because you're on your butt. Like, where, where are you? Where are you? There wasn't a bear in the frame the whole way down the field. So I, that's another effort thing. I mean, that that was a play that they got steamrolled and they quit within that play. We mentioned that this Bears team fought the whole way through. I give them credit for that. But on that play, they quit. They got punched in the mouth and they laid down for it. Uh, so that, to me, was definitely a bit more of a backbreaker. They came back from it, but... Uh, like I say, that that was a play that they laid down and they quit. They took a punch and they didn't get up for it. Uh, so that that for me is definitely the the backbreaker, game breaker, however you want to assess it. Yeah, it was a very vital play at that. Um, not just to put seven points on the board, but at that moment, uh, New England had all the momentum. And it took a while for the Bears uh, late in this game to kind of seize some of it back. But I definitely agree. But, guys, let's just go ahead and just grade the game. I don't want to talk about special teams anymore. Uh, that was just a little bit too depressing. Now, it felt like a Bears special teams discussion from 2015, 2016, a little bit of last year as well. Uh, not what we're used to here, at least so far in 2018, which they've been uh, very sound for throughout the most part here, besides eh, maybe a missed field goal in overtime last week. But, Brandon, everything we ju- that we just discussed, offense, defense, special teams, all the different variables, when it all comes down to it, what grade would you give this game? Uh, all, all phases of the game lost at some point, which could have been avoided. Uh, so I will give it, I've got a hard time giving it anything lower than a C-. minus. So I'll give it C-, minus C range, because uh, there are positives to take away. I couldn't tell you the last, the last time the Bears lost and still scored 31 points. So that's definitely a positive, uh, but they also gave up 38. Uh, some of that could have been avoided with the, the special teams that we're not going to talk about anymore. So I think there's a lot of positives to take away from this game. I mean, they'd had New England on the ropes, uh, especially at some points in the game. They had the momentum, uh, just couldn't capitalize on it. But uh, I think just for this game, just the sloppiness of the whole thing, uh, wonky, I think has been my favorite word said on the podcast so far. Uh, that gives it no no less than a C minus, but C range is definitely acceptable. You went really obsessed me. You mentioned that we scored 31 points and we still lost. Last week we scored 28 points and we still lost. With this defense, that should never happen. Like we said, right. if this offense can score 24 points per game, the Bears should be winning the, the vast majority of their games. And the last yes. two weeks they had 28. Now they scored 31, and they still lost both of those games, which it just it's not complimentary yet. It's not complete. Uh, if the offense shows up, the defense kind of takes a back seat. Uh, we need both sides of the ball, all three phases, obviously. But in terms of just offense and defense here, uh, after the bye, the offense has kind of figured some things out. They've been able to put some points up on the board, but it's been the defense that's been letting us down. I think that's what surprises me the most after the bye week so far. But what about you, Will? What's your grade? 
Uh, I got to give it a C and it'd be a lot lower if it wasn't for the effort of this team. Uh, if I look at it from a coaching standpoint, it would be in the D range, but this team fought to the very last play. I respect the, I respect the living daylights out of that. So I wouldn't give them worse than a C because they fought their tails off. They stayed in a game that they had no business being in for in large part uh, with the way that they played for a lot of it. But uh, that fighting attitude uh, and that culture around the team allowed them to stay in a game with arguably one of the best teams in the NFL. So I respect the living daylights out of that. So for that, I'll give them the C. But, man, if it, there are a lot of reasons why this game should be graded lower, in my opinion. And to answer uh, Brandon's uh, little question, I believe it was 2015 was the last time they lost a game uh, when they scored 31 or more points. That would be their first matchup against the Detroit Lions. They lost, I believe, 34-37 in overtime. What are you, a walking encyclopedia? Well, that's what you have me here for, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Accurate assessment there, Will. Accurate assessment. So I just want to give a quote from Mitchell Trubisky after the game so far. And the tweet comes from Chris Emma to give him credit. Um, But the quote from Mitch is, it's not good enough anymore to come up short. We're letting each other down. We're letting our fans down. And we don't want to do that. There's a new standard. And we love how Coach Nagy has set the bar high for us. I like that mindset. And again, it's unfortunate that that has to be the mantra right now. Like close isn't good enough anymore. Um, because each and every one of these Bears losses so far this season has been a one-score game. Either it be the overtime last week. Uh, here, we're just one yard short and a, and a score as well. And, of course, Green Bay, we know that was a very close game too. So, yeah, close. Um, it doesn't cut it, but that's ex- still exactly where this team is um, in many ways. Last year, the Bears were on the wrong side of too many one-score games. So far this season, same exact thing. Every time the game's been close, the Bears are on the wrong side of it. So that needs to be cleaned up. But for me, in terms of a grade, I think I'm right there with you guys. C, C minus, depending on how generous I want to be. Because um, on one hand, like Will, you mentioned, the team fought all the way down to the final whistle, which is exactly what you want to see, um, especially against a Brady Belichick team, because it could have been easy to just kind of, you know, check in early. And at some points, it did seem like they were kind of done, especially on defense. But uh, they were able to kind of fight through it, especially on offense down the stretch. Um, but anytime you give up a 17 to seven lead, so that would be 10 point lead, um, regardless of where it is in the game. Um, it's hard to watch. I know it's Tom Brady on the other side, but even he didn't have to do it. It was all on the special teams wonders that really brought New England back into this game. And when that happens, um, the grade of course drops drastically. So for me, uh, CC minus, um, defense has a lot to clean up, uh, two weeks in a row fundamentals have beat this team. Uh, more so than the opponent. And then the offense, even though it wasn't a perfect game, uh, they still found a way to hang in there, um, overcome some mistakes, especially later on. So for me, um, yeah, CC minus. All right, guys, let's go ahead and jump right into the final segment, which is our two-minute warning. Uh, This is where we kind of wrap up our thoughts on this game um, and put things into perspective moving forward. And let's go with Brandon first. Uh, This isn't one that I'm going to hang my hat on too heavy. Uh, They need to really shore up the fundamental things, uh, tackling. Uh, I like that the offense is being aggressive. Uh, special teams needs to be able to shore itself up because you take away those two scores and the defense does enough. They force three turnovers. Uh, if you make a couple of these open field tackles, uh, it's, it's really, you know, a game changer and it, they really just need to be able to put together a complete game. And I didn't expect that they wouldn't be able to do that, especially after the performance we've seen, against Tampa, uh, the 48-10 to 10 victory, and coming out uh, not being able to put together two complete games the two weeks straight out of the bye uh, really surprised me because I thought that the AFC East division in our season preview was going to be the quarter of the, the season that I thought the Bears would be able to take advantage of, and so far we're 0-2 in this quarter. Uh, I mean, 
that we've been in games, just got to be able to make it uh, close. Well, no, close isn't acceptable anymore. They have to be able to win these games, close games out, and that's really uh, where they need to be. Just have to be able to make the one extra play, that extra tackle, that open field tackle, I think is really the, the huge thing that is really slowing this team down because the offense is doing its part. Like we said earlier, if they're scoring 28, 31 points, that should be enough to win a game. Yeah, it really should. There's no other way to put it. Um, but yeah, the Bears need to learn how to close, not keep it close, which they're spelled yes. exactly the same, different <laughs> context. You got to love the English language just for those sort of circumstances. But Will, what about you? What's your two-minute warning? Uh, I've been uh, largely negative for the majority of this podcast, especially when uh, regarding the defense. But the biggest thing, and, and I was really frustrated with a lot of fans' approaches and uh, some friends that I have uh, when when watching the Bears game, especially when it seemed, I believe they were down 14, and it seemed like the game was about to be over. It was before the Kyle Fuller interception in which they go down and score. They were like, well, I guess we're on the next week. And it was just like, no. This team is different. Uh, this team is extremely talented. Uh, we've we've spent the last hour or so talking about how this team farted around for the majority of 60 minutes, and they hung with one of the best teams in the NFL. The talent on this roster is absolutely insane, that they are able to play around with one of the best quarterbacks who has ever played the game, and they only end up a yard short of sending this thing to overtime. And after that, who knows what happens? So... I, I'm very encouraged by what this team can do. And the fact that we are so frustrated is because we see what this team can be. This team can be the very best in the NFL if they're firing on all cylinders. This team could be the number one team in the NFL. When's the last time we were able to say that? It is a very special time. It is a window that only opens for a brief period of time A lot of in a lot of NFL history. The Patriots don't come around very often. The 90s Cowboys don't come around very often. This, this window to be the best in the NFL is, is very rare and very exclusive. So it's frustrating for us as Bears fans and, and analysts to watch them not take advantage of that all the time. But overall, understand, your Chicago Bears are one of the most talented teams, if not the most talented team in the NFL. It's going to be a fun ride for the rest of the way, and I'm going to compare that hopefully this week to a past Bears team that was very exciting to watch, even though they fell short on a few occasions. So look out for that later this week. You're not wrong. I mean, this team has so much potential. You, If you couple what the offense has been able to do since the bye week, um, even you can throw in the Tampa Bay game because that's a very nice game to throw in as well. Um, but with what the defense has been able to do, I think that Tampa Bay game in many ways is uh, the epitome of what this team can become, right? A team that can put up 40 plus points and a team that can keep your offense down to about 10. So for me, it's that's the game we need to find a way to get back to. I understand Tampa, especially their secondary um, was a little bit, you know, mediocre at best. Um, but still this offense has been chugging along ever since that game. So for me, the defense needs to find a way to flip the light switch back on and then let the offense needs to continue exactly what they've been doing. Of course, there's still things to clean up, right? Trubisky. Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. He's missed throws today, but the thing is, even though the throws maybe were a little bit inaccurate at times, um, he cleaned those up, especially down the stretch, hitting guys in stride, um, putting the mistakes behind him. But perhaps more importantly on those missed throws, uh, schematically, it was correct. Schematically, it was the right read. It was the right throw to make. So things are looking in the right direction for, in terms of Mitch's development. 
He just needs to take a breath, settle down, hit those throws because he can, and I know he will moving forward. But a game like today where you're facing Tom Brady, you need to be perfect. You need to be perfect. We weren't today, and we're on the wrong side of the game. So moving forward, when you play, say, the Rams later on this season, you need to clean this up. If you do the same exact mistakes that we did today, it's not going to be good enough. But I think today the Bears played good enough to beat perhaps the next two teams, uh, the Jets and the Bills. So for me, uh, when I put everything in perspective, even though it wasn't the most prettiest of games, it was sloppy, the Bears did lose. Uh, we're now 3-3. Three and three. Um, How do I want to end this positively? I'm trying to think. I would have put the Bears um, in a better spot than I would have, say, if they would have lost this game in a blowout fashion. Because a lot of fans already written off this team earlier this week. But they found a way to hang in there. They found a way to keep it close despite being it a sloppy game, which goes back to Will's point where there's a bunch of potential left on this team that's still waiting to be untapped. And if they can just put it all together, uh, this Bears team has potential to be one of the best in the league. It's just that we haven't seen it, uh, not just in one game besides the Tampa Bay game, but all four quarters in most of these games as well. So consistency is going to be key for this Bears team. We'll see if they can find a way to become more consistent. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Bears Brothers Podcast. I want to thank to everyone here who's on YouTube watching this post-game show live. I know there's more football on your TV, and the fact that you're here uh, despite a Bears loss means everything to us. And, of course, to all the thousands of podcasts, podcast listeners worldwide, we want to thank you just as well. And if you're here, you're listening, and you appreciate and you enjoy what we do, all I ask is for a simple review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. You don't have to leave run. Just uh, click some stars. Let us know you're listening. Let us know that you hear us, and we would just appreciate the review uh, from you, you know, from one Bears fan to another. I want to thank you in advance. But, uh, yeah, we're going to go ahead and begin our Week 8 preview in just a couple of days. But until then, keep your head up, and, of course, bear down, Chicago. Bear down, Chicago bear.